You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, Elmira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizensalmira.ca. Now, okay, here's what it says. We believe the Bible, Old and New Testament, as the inspired Word of God, which are the complete revelation of God's will and final authority for all Christian faith and life. That's what we believe about the Bible. We believe that it speaks to the reality of our spiritual lives. And I think I've said this every week, chapters 1 through 3 have been all about our spiritual life. They've been all the truths about everything that we've received in Jesus Christ, his grace, his love towards us, a a reconciliation. God has brought us back together totally by grace. Nothing that we do. And I hope that you have been like soaring and just happy and glad when you've heard these truths because that's what we should be. But now, in chapter 4, and this isn't a but like this is the bad news now, okay? This is the continuation of the good news is that now Paul is turning the corner. Chapter 4, verse 1. And now he's going to say, I urge you. This is the call. Final authority, sorry, that was wrong cue. Final authority in life, like what we actually have to do, the way that we live our lives. This is what Paul is going to speak to now. Because from God's perspective, everything in life is spiritual. There is no category of your life where God's truth does not speak to or give foundation to. So the work that you do, the way that you spend your money, the way that you think about the world, the way that you parent, the way that you have relationships, in every area, as a Christian, as a believer, the truth and the reality of the gospel touches every area. So there's no spot where you're like, eh, this is kind of like my little nook here, this is my thing. No, God speaks to every area of life. And so now Paul is going to get very practical for the rest of the book. He's going to just speak directly to us. He's going to tell us to do certain things. And if you're a lot like me, which many of you are, you're a North American, you know, we've lived and grown up here, and and we've said this before also, that we have all been raised in a hyper-individualistic society. So My life and my choices are primary, and all of society is celebrating that, that you are the final authority. But now here we come into the text, and it might feel like Paul is meddling in your life. He's actually telling you what to do. And so I just want to give you like that that warning that that's what's coming, okay? As we look at chapters 4 through 6, Paul is going to directly speak into our life, And the way that Paul does it, though, and the way that the scriptures do it is the way that Jesus does it. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. And it's a specific invitation. Jesus says in John 10.10 that what he is inviting us into is what Jesus calls an abundant life. Or another translation says a life that is full. So the life that Jesus offers to us 
the teaching that Scripture gives to us is not meant to rob you of fun. It's not meant to control your life so that you just live in a certain way that like all Christians are happy with. It is what Jesus says is an abundant life. It's life to the full. When we see the vision that God has for us, his people, and when we understand it and apply it, we enter into this full life. So, you might have like loved chapter, all the sermons related to one through, you know, chapters one through three, and now in the coming weeks, you're gonna be like, I don't know if I like this guy Paul anymore, and I don't know if I like Darcy for preaching these sermons anymore, but just let's all take a deep breath and like let's take in the invitation of Jesus to the abundant life. And, and this is why every week we look at what the text has to say. We look at what is it that he's actually saying to us and then we ask the Holy Spirit to teach us together. So the first thing that Paul does when he turns the corner and enters into application is he addresses the issue of unity. He says, this is the starting point. A, a unified church is a, it's almost an unstoppable force. You can see that from the book of Acts, when the early church was unified, this fresh vision entering into following Jesus, they changed the world. And the world is still different because of that church and other churches who have been unified and and have had a clear picture of what God wants for them. So listen again to verses 1 through 6, where Paul begins this application. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You get the, get the emphasis there of oneness? Seven times he says the word one. You are one, you are one, you are, you are united as one. And so Paul says here now, you are one and you need to respond now. And he says, I urge you to respond now to the good news that you have just learned about, the good news that you've experienced in salvation. Now, some people think that Christians or being a Christian just means that, you know, you're supposed to be really nice. For some people, they think it's almost like a fake nice. It's like a Ned Flanders kind of nice, you know, like not a real nice. It's something that's an annoying nice. Other people say they're, you know, Christians or even people think you're just trying to be nice so that, you know, God will be happy with you or when you do these nice things, then maybe God's going to give you good things. You know, it's some sort of like a payback system. But Paul here is saying, this is what he says. Did you see that in the text? He says, walk in a manner worthy Walk in a manner worthy. The, the Greek word there is actually axios. That's what that word worthy is. And in another form, that word means having the weight of another. So Paul is saying, 
I just loaded on the scales here all the good news of the gospel. It's just piled on. And remember, that is all a free gift. You didn't earn it. You can't point to it and say, I did that. It's from God alone. And now Paul is saying, here's what I'm urging you to do. Here's your reasonable response, as you would say in Romans 12. The reasonable response is now, walk in a manner worthy of it. It should change your life. The gospel is not just a set of intellectual ideas. It's actually something that has changed you. Paul says it's made us new, new creations. So new creations then are called to live differently. But again, it's not by force. God, we're not robots. God doesn't make us do something. So Paul says, I urge you, I'm calling you to this, to respond to the good news now in a manner that is worthy. So he says, you are then united together. This is your first response. You're united together. You are bound by Jesus. So there's all kinds of things that could bind us. You know, there's, there's what, maybe 130 of us here today. There's all kinds of reasons why we could be bound here. Like, we want to try and save this building. You know, like, let's gather together and just save this building. Or maybe we're really excited about a certain topic or, or some sort of idea, and we rally around that. Paul says, no, no, the thing that actually brings you together is that you are one. You're one in Christ you're one in the Spirit. You're one in the Father. He uses this Trinitarian language to say you are one together. John Stott puts it this way, the theologian. He says, The unity of the church is as indescribable as the unity of God himself. It is more possible to, to split the church than it is possible to split the Godhead. So basically it's impossible because we have been brought together as one. And Paul says, the way that you're going to maintain that unity, the way that you're going to live it out, that you're going to walk forward, growing in your unity, is actually through your inner character, through the godly character. You see what it says there? It says in verse 2, in all humility, in gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, so he says, it's not going to be a hobby horse. It's not going to be something you're excited about. It's these very things, the reality of Jesus coming out in your life, practicing humility and gentleness together. So Paul says, you are going to be bound together now, but it's not going to be easy. He says there, you're going to have to bear with one another. It's going to be a challenge. You're going to have to bear with one another because certain people are going to rub you the wrong way. Certain people are going to bother you, and yet you're bound together. And you're like, Lord, does it have to be this way? Do I have to be bound together with them? I could be bound together with people that I like. Paul says, no, that's, you don't get to choose that. The local church is God's people pulled together. And you have to bear with each other and practice humility one with the other. And so he says, when offense comes into your midst, when you get bothered by people, when you get hurt by people in the church, Paul says, work at unity. Do the hard work of unity. He says in verse 3, 
eagerly work towards unity. It's not going to be easy, but work at it. Make an effort towards it. I remember uh, a number of years ago now, I watched like a documentary about uh, an animation company and how they make movies. I forget if it was DreamWorks or Pixar, I don't remember. But it talked about like working on these various scenes and they would come in and the director and all these other people would be in there and they would watch this scene and they would tear the scene apart. You know, there'd be 10 of them in there, and they'd be like, that's, that's terrible. That's not working. That looks like trash. You know, that, that's no good either. You know, it's supposed to be more emotion in that moment. Like, that's all wrong. And the person would just kind of take it in, and they would maybe give their response back and say, well, I don't know. It'd be back and forth. And I was thinking in the moment, maybe that's easier because it's a company, but how is it possible for this company to be able to, to just be so honest with each other to be able to work through. Well, part of it is they have a clear vision of what they're going for. They're going to make, the, the goal, hopefully, is to make a great movie. And so they are working toward that end. Paul says, you have been united together, so work at unity. Eagerly work towards it. Which may go against our Canadian way. It may go against our local Mennonite way. But Paul says, this is going to be difficult. You're going to have to bear with one another. But here's what you do. In humility and in patience, you eagerly work out the unity of the local church. Because what you're doing when you, when you live that out, you are living out the spiritual reality of what you are. So Paul says, eagerly do that for the unity of the church. But Paul says there's more to it than that. There's actually, God has done something to help us maintain that unity. And it's gifts have been given for unity specifically. So look at verse 7. Verse 7 he says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So Paul says the goal is to live out our spiritual reality of unity. And he says to help us do that, God has given us a grace. This is a different kind of grace. He talked about grace in chapter 2 and 3. That's the grace of God for salvation. But now this grace that has come to us is in the form of gifts. Charismata. These gifts that God gives to the people within the church to live out. And he quotes from Psalm 68. You'll see there in verse 8, he's quoting from the Old Testament. And in Psalm 68, he's drawing from a psalm that is talking about the victory that God has done for Israel. So the psalm talks about Israel being 
in captivity, in bondage, in Egypt, and God rescued them, and now he has brought them up to Jerusalem. And then it says that God actually, the text is interesting, it says that he receives gift. If you look at Psalm 68, it says that he receives gift. I think it's in verse 18. But here Paul quotes it and it says that he gave gifts. So some translators are like a little bit not sure what to do with that, but most commentators say what Paul is just doing is stating the obvious is that gifts were received by the victors and gifts were also given by the victors. And so Paul is using this psalm in its context to help us understand how does God enable us to get unity? And it's by giving us gifts. And so you'll see here that we have the apostle, prophet, evangelist, and shepherd, teacher, pastor, teacher, maybe your text says. This is not the, the full list of spiritual gifts in the Old Testament. First uh, Corinthians 12, Romans 12, this text in Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4 are four places where spiritual gifts are listed. And even that doesn't seem to be the end of the list because none of the authors that record this say this is the end of the list. They all just kind of list a bunch of things. But in this one, Paul is specifically listing gifts that are leadership gifts in the church. And so I just put a little chart up here which shows the four gifts and a little description of what each of them are. The first two, I will just say this, the first two you'll see in the New Testament that they function in a way that is ongoing and also in a way that is complete. So by that I mean there are apostles that were original apostles in the first century that had specific, unique gifts to start the, the local church. And those gifts are no longer around anymore. And we had people who were prophets in that they received revelation from God, which we have recorded now for us in Scripture. And that gift of that kind of prophetic revelation is no longer with us anymore. Paul even, I think, alludes to this in Ephesians 2, verse 20, where he says that, the church has been built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. So Paul's saying there is a unique gifting for those two gifts that is temporary, but there's also a sense that they go on. So there are some people who are like apostles in that they are ones who stand and extend ministry. They do new kind of work. This work of prophecy is questioning, critiquing, or giving words of encouragement, we still see it coming up in the New Testament. And then evangelist is one who invites and gathers and shepherd teachers care for and they protect and provide for the congregation. So Paul says, these leaders have been given to the church to help bring about unity. But they don't do all the work. Paul is very specific there. It says that they are there to equip the church to do the work. They equip the church to do the work. So you haven't come to a church that is, is built on the shoulder of one person. And you haven't come to a church that's been built on the shoulder of even 10 people. There are countless people that 
that serve in all kinds of ways for this church to exist and do what it does. Even on a morning like this morning, I just counted it up, just to do what we're doing this morning, okay? All the kids are over there. We can't even hear them. All the kids are over there. The worship that was done, the guys in the tech booth, people greeting at the front. It took over, it takes over 20 people just to run one morning like this. And just to do a Sunday gathering, we have like, I was looking at, we have 60 or 70 people that serve in different ways, all kinds of different ways, just to do a Sunday morning here in a gathering. But then we've also got missional families where we've got over 20 missional family leaders and then people that host and people that make food, people do all kinds of different things, all serving so that the church can move forward towards unity together. So what's your spiritual gift? Do you know what that is? Have you thought about it? Do you know maybe even how to discover what your spiritual gift is if you're unsure or if you don't know at all? I want to just give you a quick acronym. This is from Rob Wagner and Brian Phipps in their book on spiritual gifts, and their acronym is GPS. Easy to remember, right? GPS. And this is what they use to help people think about what is your spiritual gift. So, G is gifts. Now, we said that every Christian will be given a spiritual gift, so maybe the first question is, what is that gift? But also, what is it that you have that is a natural gift that God has given to you? What is it that you're just naturally good at, and you can actually use that then to serve the local church? I have a brother-in-law who is... um, and maybe this comes with his like Italian descent. He's Italian, and so he's just like really good at cooking. Not only does he like cooking, he's good at it, okay? So he is able to make some fantastic food, and you can enjoy it. And he uses that gift to encourage people in his church. He, uh, I will say this. He brings food to the staff of the church. Just saying that, you know, like as gifts to them. I'm kidding. Um, He will bring food to people in the congregation who are in need for various ways. He encourages people with his gift of cooking. What are you good at? What is it that you are just really, it's something that you have grown up doing, you are good at doing it. Could it be that God could use that actually for the buildup of the church? The second one is similar to gifts, but it is passions. So what are you passionate about? What is it that you love to think about and to to work with? Maybe it's even in your work. Maybe it's something like you love having people over in your house. You're just a hospitable person. And you love kind of creating that environment to have people in. You are passionate about that. Everybody in your family knows it. People that are your close friends know it. Could it be that the Lord wants to use that to benefit and to to encourage the local church? How about this one? You might not think of this one. What if you love making money? You just love running a successful business. It earns a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with that. If, now, if money becomes your idol, then we got some other discussions. But you love running a business. You love that it's successful and it's, and it's making a lot of money. God can use that now for you to practice, to exercise generosity, 
to the local church, to missions, to other causes, or maybe even it's just your mind for business and taking care of money can be used to encourage and to train others in the church. So what is it that if you weren't a Christian you are passionate about, but now that you are a believer, God says you can use this for the common good of the church, and it may even be tied in to your spiritual gift. So gifts, passion, and in the last one, story. What is your life story? What has God taken you through? All kinds of events, good things, bad things, all kinds of experiences that have shaped you into the person you are today, sitting or standing here. And God now wants to take that story and use it for the good of his people. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You hear what Paul's saying there? The difficulty in your life, when God has showed up to be present in your life through his people, through his spirit, is intended then for you to be equipped to serve other people in the local church and even beyond it. So, what is your gifts? What is your passion? What is your story? All those things may be indicators of what your spiritual gift is. There may even be something that's like totally random, outside of all those things, that is your spiritual gift. And let me encourage you to, to do one of two things. If you have an inkling of what maybe your spiritual gift is, I want to encourage you, practice it. Put it into practice in the local church. It doesn't have to be in this Sunday morning context. It can be with God's people, in missional family, as you meet for coffee with people, as you interact in other spaces. Practice this gift and slowly train yourself to be more comfortable using it. And secondly, if you have no idea, even with GPS, you're like, I got no idea. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Start serving. Start serving in the church, here, in other spaces. Serve, and you will discover over time, over serving, what it is that God has equipped you for and prepared you for. It may come in the form of, I led worship once, but why is nobody calling me back to lead worship again, you know? Nobody's, where's the call? You know, I'm not getting it. Okay, that may be your cue that that's not your gift, okay? At least not yet. Serve trial and error and discover what it is that God has for you because what we saw is that each person is given a gift. Did you see that in the, in the text? I think I skipped it actually from... Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, where he says, to each, verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So if you're a Christian, and you're sitting here, and you're in here, we're glad that you're here. You are needed to build this church towards unity. God has given you a spiritual gift to be exercised for the common good of the church. So it's for our good that you exercise that gift. And when you're not, we're actually missing something. 
There's a piece to the mystery of this gathered people that is missing because God has equipped you and has prepared you to serve us and to work towards unity. So God gives us specific leadership gifts. That's what Ephesians here tells us. But he also gives every single one of us a spiritual gift, which is building us up for unity. Which brings us to the last couple of verses, which is the result then of this unity working itself out. Verse 14 says, So that we may no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What an interesting slash uh, terrifying example that Paul is equating us to. I don't know if you saw that. He says we'd be like babies or children out in a boat, I'm guessing, tossed about like in a stormy, you know, wave-infested lake or ocean. That's what Paul says. That's what it's like when immature believers are existing within the context of life itself. As the waves of all kinds of stuff comes up against them, they are, one, they are either deceived, they're totally thrown into confusion, or they're just like tossed to and fro, they, they're just totally self-absorbed, thinking only about themselves. Paul says that is the reality of immaturity that is happening in the local church with believers. Paul's, man, Paul's not messing around, eh? He just kind of says it like it is. So Paul is saying that in our pews or in our local church exist people who are on varying levels of maturity. Some who are babes in Christ. They're just tossed around, self-absorbed. I feel like we've been kind of like ranting on babies a lot here over the last few weeks. I've been talking about babies a lot, but they're just completely self-absorbed. They are the, you know, that's all that they're worried about. They're not thinking about anybody else. They're just, you know, tossed around. Paul says there are some believers that are in that state. But he says that is not where we are supposed to stay. There should be movement towards maturity in Christ, stability, thinking of others, not tossed around, not without questions. There's always questions and doubts. They always will exist, but not just completely thrown off. Timothy Keller, in one of his sermons, this is from a sermon, he says this, if you come to church services and you get really convicted and you don't follow through, you you're a spiritual baby. Or if you are not able just to give and to do your duty to God, whether or not things are going well in your life, whether or not you're having good feelings, you just do it because you're steady, because you're enduring, because you're patient. If you can't do that, if you don't know anything about a long obedience in the same direction, if you constantly need God to intervene and come up with great new answers to prayers, you're a spiritual baby. 
Ooh, Tim Keller. Now listen, before you take uh, too much offense to that, before I take too much offense to that, here's what should be actually comforting for us. In verse 14, look at what Paul has said there when he's talking about this immaturity that exists within the church. Paul says, so that we may no longer be children. Paul is including himself in this warning about spiritual immaturity. And I don't know about you, but if Paul is calling himself spiritually immature, I'm definitely in the spiritually immature category then still. So Paul's not pointing the finger at everybody else saying, everybody else is spiritually mature, but I, Paul, am totally mature in all areas. Paul's saying, all of us, every single one of us, from an apostle down to the pastor who's standing on the stage, every single one of us have varying levels of spiritual immaturity in our lives. But Paul says, we're not supposed to stay there. This is a lifetime of growth and maturity in Jesus Christ. And so life in the waves then is supposed to be filled with one thing, Paul says. Paul focuses on one thing, and that is this, speaking the truth in love. That is how we do it. This is how we put into practice through the spiritual gifts, through the unity that we have together. We speak the truth in love. And so Dale was just here mentioning about the, the benefit and the beauty of missional family. And that is our vision here at Citizens Church that as many people as possible, everybody, if we would have our way, that they would be fully invested and that they would be participating in missional families. And this is what we have for, this is part of our description for missional families. Missional families meet twice a month, which gives us opportunities to wrestle with the truths from the teaching, to love one another, to serve our neighbors and participate in the mission of God. That's what missional family is. It is an invitation to practice the one anothering of scripture together and to speak truth to one another. It's not just a meal together. It's not just coffee together. If it's only those things, I'm here to tell you, it's not a missional family. Part of missional family is the gospel truth is spoken to one another in love, in patience, in humility. That's what it means to live in community. And the product then, Paul's saying, is that we will actually work towards maturity in Christ. So the product then is, verse 16, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it, it builds itself up in love. That's the product. The body of Christ growing, maturing, but the maturity is, is rooted in the love of God. That's what's experienced among the people of God in the local church. So the vision of God for his people is that we would practice our unity, that we would serve each other, and in the process there would actually be maturing in Christ that allows us to be steady and faithful because of Jesus. Back there, it's not the nicest one, but right back there there's a stained glass window. 
You don't have to turn and break your neck if you don't want to, but take my word for it. There's a stained glass window up there. Stained glass windows are beautiful. They are uh, pieces, you can see it here, they are pieces of usually glass that has been blown or fired in some way and then has been cut or broken or chipped and put into place. And then when you kind of step back and you take a look at the final product, most of us are just like, wow. It's just like glorious. It's beautiful. And if you go to some these large churches, you know, I've never been to Notre Dame in Paris, but there's this, you know, this famous stained glass window that is together that is just gorgeous. It is just beautiful. It's a wonderful picture, actually, of what God is doing in the local church where God is bringing together as, as a master craftsman, as an artist. He is bringing together men and women who have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. They're broken and they're fired in so many ways. And at times they even need little things busted off them so that they can fit into place. But in the end, what God is doing is building a beautiful mosaic a, a gathering of his people. And when God looks back, we can see this from the scripture, when God steps back and sees what he has brought together, he looks at it with wonder as well. His people serving each other in love as ambassadors for the good news wherever God takes them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this reminder Thank you for the place that every single one of us has who are in Christ to be knit together as a family, a local church, for your glory and to, to show each other the love of Christ. Lord, would you help us do that well as broken individuals. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.